True, John Wood spoke it at the outset. We, we hate to wait, don't we? And we, we live with an inundation. In fact, we have an infatuation with speed, don't we? Fast food, microwaves, jiffy, jiffy lubes, the express lane. We love speed. And therefore, because of that, we hate to wait. John Mayer was waiting on the world to change. Brad Paisley was waiting on a woman. Amen. Tom Petty, the late Tom Petty, RIP, said that waiting is the hardest part. Look at the expressions that we have for waiting. We say that we're waiting on the edge of our seat or we're waiting on pins and needles or we're waiting with bated breath. Someone look up that expression, bated breath. It sounds like that's something that flossing and brushing could heal. But we have sayings and we have songs about waiting, but because we have a need for speed, we hate to wait. We really, we really do. Waiting is just something that's a part of it, whether it's at uh, Disney World or the DMV. But the thing about Disney World, some of you've noticed to the rest of our envy, but when you go to Disney World, right, they tell you how long you have to wait for the Jungle Cruise. Like the sign says, three days, you'll be waiting here to the Jungle Cruise. But the trouble about your waiting in life is that in your waiting, there's no sign that tells you. Even at the almost God-forsaken DMV, that you at least get a number, right? But at Disney, they, they tell you, give you a good estimation, but in life, no one says, hey, six months and you'll find your spouse. Four years from now, your kids will be grown and gone. Ten years from now, your spouse will grow up. No one tells you that, and so you just have to wait. But here's the thing. We, because we have an infatuation with speed, because we hate to wait, we want things to be easy. And so a common story for us, I've been there, that you have is that you begin a new venture. You begin, you embark, you venture out and courageously choose to leave something comfortable behind and go to something new that you believe God has called you to. And there's the early uh, euphoria, euphoric feelings that you have. You experience the euphoria and you take calculated risk to get started. And the circumstances at the beginning, they click for you. And then what do you begin to think? You began to think that every risk will have rewards, that all your efforts will be uh, handsomely met with great success. And then you, you begin to think it's just going to be easy, that you're spiritually you're going to thrive, that your faith will be multiplied, that your friends will marvel at you. But then what happens? You started with double espresso and then you find decaf. The energy that you had to begin your venture, right? It doesn't go as fast. Now, when you got that, when things were clicking, the circumstances were working on the very beginning, you thought, oh, this is going to be easy. And this is going to be fast. But not so fast, my friend. We have waiting in our lives. It's, it's in us. It's, it's in, in every pew. It's in every heart. It could be the single person waiting for the right someone. It could be the childless couple desperately wanting to begin a family. It could be the deeply depressed who's longing for a morning when they wake up and their feet want to hit the floor and they actually want to take on the day, yea, even live. It's the child who feels awkward and clumsy and longs to be the first one picked on the playground. It's the elderly man or woman who waits at home or in the nursing home for someone to visit them, or they're even left with the inevitable of what are they really waiting for on the other side. Waiting happens in us 
You know, waiting is chock full in the Bible. Moses was called by God. When Moses was called, there were 40 years, 40 years that God prepared him. Prepared him to deliver the people of Israel. But stop there for a moment and think about that because it was 40 years. David was anointed king by Samuel. And if you're a king, what do you do? What, what do kings do? They take off to the palace. You began your reign, right? But David didn't go to the palace. He went to the pasture. And he spent seven more years in the pasture before that. Paul, some of you don't know this. When Paul was saw and he was called by God, that's Acts chapter 9. But it, was, it wasn't until Acts 13 that he was appointed. Do you know how many how long that was between Acts 9 and Acts 13? Any guesses? How long would you think that would be? Turn to the person next to you if you're sitting next to someone and guess. How long between Acts 9 and Acts 13? You, what are you thinking? You ready? 17 years. The central promise of the Bible is that the Messiah would come. The central promise of the Old Testament, the Messiah would one day come. But the people of Israel, all of us know, they waited generation after generation. They waited century after century on this promise. And we see in Luke, the great physician, is his narrative of the gospel. He says this, Luke 2.25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was what? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Generation after generation, century after century, but this righteous, devout man had to do what? He had to wait. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Next verse, we see waiting woven throughout in Acts 1. Because Jesus, He came, of course, He lived and He taught. He was crucified and He resurrected. All the waiting is over, right? The Messiah is here. No. Acts 1.4, on one occasion while He was eating with them, He gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift of my Father, the gift that He has promised, which you have heard me speak about. The gift of the Spirit. When cowards would become coaches, when those who denied the faith would become really devout, when those who were stubborn and unyielding and didn't get it, they got it. It was the gift of the Spirit. So no more waiting. Ah, it's finally, there's the coronation of it all. Not so fast. Romans chapter 8. Paul would say this, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. You, you get that, the first fruits of the Spirit. That was the gift that the Father promised that Jesus spoke about in Acts 1. Now it's here, but what happens? Life is great and life is easy and no more waiting. No, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. Waiting, waiting. We see it in us. We see it in life. We see it in Scripture. And it's spelled out. And so, why? Why do you think God makes us wait? I will not have you turn to the person next to you and offer commentary on that. It's just deep and it's heavy and it could be controversial. Why does God have us wait? I love it when science, psychology, sociology lines up with the truth that God has given us centuries ago. 
Stanford University in Palo Alto did a famous study. I bet a lot of you, maybe half of you, as much as half of you've heard about this. It was the famous marshmallow test. Anybody remember that? Did you see the video from a few years back? It's worth a, a Google uh, later today, not now during the sermon. But the marshmallow test was these uh, kids. They were all four-year-old boys and girls. And although they included a lot of kids, it was one at a time, a solitary thing where a boy or girl, four-year-old, would be left alone in a room. They would have an experimenter, an adult, of course, that was in the room, and the adult would give the child the four-year-old instructions of, hey, here's a marshmallow. And the marshmallow, they were seated at a table. Some of you can picture this, seated at the little table with a plate and a marshmallow on the plate. And the experimenter said, you can eat this marshmallow now, or if you wait, I'm, I'm going to come back, and I'll be gone a little while, and I'm going to come back, and you get two marshmallows if you don't eat the marshmallow. An epic battle. I mean, this was brutal, right? For four-year-old girls and boys, I would say especially boys, okay? But just brutal for these little kids. And the video that's so funny, it shows them uh, doing everything they can, attempting their best effort not to eat the marshmallow right then and there. So they're singing songs, they're playing games with themselves, they're playing fidgeting and doing a variety of things. One little boy, of course it's a boy, he licked the table as if the flavor from the marshmallow had transmogrified, you know, into that. He was just bent down licking the table. But what an epic, it, it's a microcosm of the epic ongoing battle that's in us between desire and control, between impulse and restraint, between delay and gratification. And so fascinating that Stanford in this study, followed these four-year-olds into their adulthood, well into their adulthood with this comprehensive study, and they found that there was a vast difference. Amazing that this one character trait, impulse control slash delayed gratification, this one character trait discovered in or not in a four-year-old had such impact into adulthood. There were the marshmallow grabbers and the marshmallow waiters, and they found that the marshmallow waiters were more socially competent, that they had uh, greater skills to cope with stress, and they gave up less when the pressure was on. The marshmallow grabbers, by contrast, were stubborn and indecisive. They struggled with being easily frustrated and prone to quit when things became difficult. The difference, this epic battle, is in you as well. Funny when it's a four-year-old with a marshmallow, but how about you? The epic battle internally between delay and gratification, between impulse and control. The first couple failed in their experiment. They couldn't wait. They couldn't trust God's goodness. They ate the forbidden marshmallow. We see this in that story. And I would say this, because when people sit down with me, and some of you have, but listen, it's an honor as a pastor to hear your story and to, to help you find God in your story, to see how the truth of God can intersect in your life. And I'm on my own journey, and what an honor it is to, to know you and to love some of you. I said that kind of funny, didn't I? To know, to know you and love some of you. That's not what I meant. You're with me. I just want to say to know all of you is to love you. That's how I feel about you today. But to hear your story, and listen, to me, when you're waiting and when it's hard, I talked to a staff this morning in my office, give me your waiting testimony. Waiting is awful. This guy's a pastor. I, oh, I hate waiting. It's awful. Listen, here's what I want to say. There's a mystery to waiting, 
but there's a pattern to waiting. And I find both. The mystery, I can sit down with you and say, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that I, I, I will offer you my presence. I will offer you my prayers. I will offer you the truth of counsel as best as I can. I'll share with you my own story, my own agony of waiting. But there is a mystery to it. But there's also a pattern to it. So let's be clear. Let's get sound theologically of what waiting is not and what it is. So first, the negative, what waiting is not. I want you to be clear on this. God has this for somebody this morning. Waiting is not passively hanging around, hoping that your circumstances will get better and you'll escape trouble. That was kind of lengthy. Let me try to say that again. Okay, waiting is not hanging around, hoping that your circumstances will change and you'll be able to escape trouble. In fact, waiting is not passive at all. It's not excuse-making at all. Waiting is not a, I'm not going to face reality. I'm not going to take ownership. I'm not going to move toward action. That's not what waiting is. Many a time, I will talk to someone who's in a horrible financial mess. That's common. And sometimes I'll even hear people say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord to provide. And I want to encourage that person, if it's you today, in love. I always do this. I encourage them to get help, to seek biblical counsel and wisdom, to learn good stewardship that you can apply for a lifetime. In fact, begin to cultivate habits like budgeting and tithing and not buying things that you currently don't have money to spend. And so let's be careful. I want to say to whoever needs to hear it today, not necessarily in that area, but whatever area, that waiting is not passive and it's not excuse making. A long time ago, it was a really long time ago, when I was a young man, I had made a mess of things. And I had a man sort of from a distance that I admired, his teaching, his, his character as best I knew it, his family. And I, had, I got access to him and I got to sit down with him. It was a real high moment for me because it was a low moment. I was, I was excited about being able to sit with him. And I opened up my suitcase and I shared with him my mess. And he didn't say much at all. Uh, good counselors are great listeners. That's probably why I'm not a good counselor. And he listened a lot to my mess. And he nodded and stuff. And he said to me, and I thought, well, I thought I was broken. I thought I was contrite. I thought I'd laid it all out there. You know, revealing the feeling is the beginning of healing. I just had this great sense of it all. And he said to me, he said, Robert, it sounds like you're making excuses and not taking ownership. And I want to tell you today, as I look back on my life, that I put that conversation in the top three. Now, I didn't jump up and call him blessed right then. But I needed to hear that. Because honestly, y'all, I thought I was waiting on the Lord. But I was making excuses. I wasn't facing reality. In fact, I had twisted it. Anybody have self-delusion? Anybody twist it, spin it a little bit? And that's what I was doing, and I'll never forget that. Oh, and the impact. And it changed the trajectory for me. Long process, but so needed. Top three conversation. So what waiting is not? Waiting is not passively hanging around, hoping that your circumstances will change so that you can get, avoid trouble. It's not that. 
It's not making excuses or facing reality or taking needed action. So what is waiting? Waiting is a confident, active, expectant, sometimes painful clinging to God. Can I say that again? Some of you may want to write this down. Waiting biblically is a confident, active, expected, sometimes painful clinging to God. So what does God do? When you're waiting, what does He do? I, t- I shared with you that, there's not a my- that, that there is a mystery to it. I can't sit with everybody. I can't sit with many of you, maybe any of you, and tell you exactly why you're waiting on that thing that you're waiting for. But I can tell you there's a pattern. And I've talked to people about this a lot. In fact, I even interjected into wedding sermons sometimes. I've got a wedding right here today at 6.30. I've got to, I've got to marry a couple and, and miss the baseball game tonight in Starkville. But that's okay. God is good. I can wait on his life. And I hope they're not in service today. But anyway, sometimes even at weddings, I'll drop Romans 5. Because I'm talking about, oh, like you're in love with each other, right? And the birds are in flight. And the trees are, are blooming. And the flowers are blossoming. And it's 70 degrees and sunny and no humidity. You're young and you're in love. But that won't always be who you are and the journey that you'll be on. Because feelings fade and romance goes into hiding and the scenery changes. And Romans 5 gives us a pattern for suffering. And it's a pattern of suffering for you and I. Everybody's included in this one. No mystery here. And it is this, that suffering produces when you're waiting and suffering in your waiting when when it's hard and it hurts. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character And proven character produces hope. But hope does not disappoint because God's love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit who's given to us. One more time, do you see the sequence? Suffering, waiting on God when it hurts, when you're clinging to a promise of God and you don't know if it's coming true. That can produce endurance. That suffering can produce endurance. And notice the words proven character. And then the sequence of hope. A hope that doesn't disappoint because everybody has their hearts broken. But ultimately, it points to His love. And so that takes a lot of mystery out of it, and we see that pattern there. So what is, what, what's waiting not? It's not the passive. It's not excuse-making. What waiting is, is active. It's a confident, and that's the kicker, isn't it? A confident, expected, active, sometimes painful clinging to God. But when you wait, listen to me, when you wait, you are faithful to Him. In fact, jot this down in Psalm, I don't have it on the screen, but Psalm 37. It says, after that great verse, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Be careful with that verse. But after that, it talks about suffering and waiting and the painful um, process that it is. But it tells us to wait on the Lord. That's an Old Testament command 43 times. Wait on the Lord. And in that passage of Psalm 37, it says, wait on the Lord and keep His way. And that's where it gets difficult. Because I see some of you and you're, you're headed toward a train wreck. And I know my life and I know where I've wrecked and where I've gotten off course. See, when you're waiting on the Lord, you're keeping His way. You're saying, God, even though, even though I'm going to do things your way, I'm not, listen to me, I'm not going to run the red light. And that's what we do. That's what's in us as humans when we feel like God is not keeping His promises, when we don't want to wait any longer, we say, I'm going to run the red light. I'm not going to keep your way. And that's when you're no longer waiting on Him and those promises are null and void for you. 
Genesis chapter 16. We're going to try to keep this a family affair today. Genesis 16 says this. Now Sarah, now this is, uh, these are um, folks who would soon have their names changed. Now Sarai and Abram's wife, that would be Abraham, had borne him no children. She was waiting. They were waiting. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what she said. So after Abram had been living in Cana 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Some of us don't know that's in the Bible, do we? That kind of stuff. Like this is reality TV, isn't it? The real housewives of Abram. Like that's that's all kind of sin over that, right? Can, Can I just say that? Like that's just all kind of dysfunction. Like, and just to be clear, because some are critics of the Bible, I'd love to meet you if you are. Love to have hospitable, fun conversation with you. But listen to me. That's not prescriptive, how you should live, of course. That's descriptive. That's how some broken, messed up, busted up, dysfunctional people were living. And that's how a couple of folks who decided they were tired of waiting on God, that they would run the red light. And I bet, you know, we're not going to do this today, but if I said to you this church with hundreds of people in it, I said, hey, stand up today. If you've run a red light and you disobeyed God and it was a good thing and you're walking in blessing because of it. That's different than a temporary thrill or pleasure seeking, okay? But when we run a red light and we say, God, I'm no longer going to wait. How remiss we are and we get all out of kilter. So... Waiting can produce in us patient trust. And waiting can produce in us a confident humility. So with this idea of patient trust, it means that you'll wait on God and that you'll keep His ways. Even when it's hard. When I was young, I heard the example and I wrote it in my journal and sometimes I I look back at it. Especially during the hard stuff when the soul is waiting but... Maybe you've heard this, that life uh, on a global, cosmic, universal scale, it, it's like, it could be like this tapestry. And then it gets from there, it comes here to be very personal for us. But it's this giant tapestry. And think of a, a tapestry that someone, an artist, is weaving. And on one side, you see an, the intricate, beautiful design and detail of the tapestry. But on the other side, if you lift it up, flip it over and you look on the other side, you're not going to see intricate beauty and artistry. What are you going to see? You're going to see an erratic, chaotic mess of strands. And when you only, if you only look at the backside of the tapestry, it's hard to believe that an artist is weaving anything beautiful. But one day, God is going to flip it He's going to flip history. And we're going to see what He's weaving. And even though we couldn't see it at the time, we're going to see it later. Patient trust. Only in waiting 
You can grab your marshmallow and you can live life grabbing things right in front of you with no impulse control, but that's not going to be good for you. It's not going to develop you. And it's not going to develop patient trust that you and I need. And it's not going to give us confident humility. Consider quickly as we begin to close Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 17, the fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. I'm not giving you a lot of Isaiah 32, but it's about waiting. And you see the quietness and confidence. Quietness is the opposite of arrogance and boasting. It's not just volume. We're not just talking decibel level. Quietness is the opposite of arrogance and boasting. And confidence is a sense, as we sang earlier, the great hymn with the contemporary alteration, that it is well with my soul. It is well, even though I don't know how it will unfold, even though there's unforeseen and unknowable and so much uncertainty, it is well. And I have this confidence that God's going to make it well. This is the effect. This is what God wants to produce, this quietness and confidence. And by the way, the quietness, the opposite of arrogance and boasting, let me just say this. There's a direct correlation between status and waiting. You ever thought about this? High status people, don't snub your nose at us if it's you, but high status people don't wait well. In fact, we live in a society, almost every society is this way. Low status people wait on high status people. You go to the doctor's office, where do they put you? In a waiting room. That equalizes things, right? The doctor, let me just tell you, the doctor is more important than you, right? It's a status thing. You're waiting on him. You can't send him a bill for how long you had to wait in his office, right? But it's a status thing. And here's here's the point that I want to get to quickly. When I wait, I accept my limits and it produces humility in me that I would not get otherwise. The waiter is the one who's humbled in the waiting. And if you get what you get all the time and you're getting what you want all the time, you're not being developed and there's not a confidence, there's not a confident humility or patient trust in your life. I want to close with um, probably the most cherished poetic scripture on waiting in the Old Testament. Anybody know where I'm going? If anybody guesses, I'll give you $100. One verse. Who said it over here? Yes, young man. Isaiah. Isaiah, what chapter? He's looking to his dad. (laughs) His dad's named Jeremy. No pressure there. I'm going to give you $10. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Is that cheap? (laughs) Y'all give me some money and I'll give him $100. I'll be down here after... All right, get serious again. Thank you, Harley. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. People who study birds, what are they called? Ornithologists. They tell us three ways that birds move. Here they are. I think we got it. There's flapping, gliding, and soaring. 
And flapping, man, you're working hard. You're moving. Hummingbirds, I, I, I know why my mother-in-law got a hummingbird feeder. They flap their wings some 70 times a second. You don't believe me, do you? Like, try that. Just put your arms out. Like, how do you do that? 70 times per second. And flapping is, if you're not a hummingbird, it's just hard work. And flapping means that you, it requires your life right now. It requires a lot of effort. Look, there's not, not a lot easy about your life. Like, it's, it's really difficult. And you're having to work harder than other people seem to be working. And just a lot of things are difficult. You can't seem to get off the ground, and it's very difficult. You're not seeing any miracles. It's just hard. But there's gliding. And gliding is a, is a beautiful thing. It's a temporary thing, okay, because gravity is eventually coming. But in gliding, there are moments when it's so blessed and so good. It's very temporary, but there's just there's blessing in your life. But it's still hard because gravity's coming and you can only glide for so long. And then what do you have to start doing? You got to start flapping. But birds, uh, experts tell us that they're soaring. No pun intended, this is a whole other level. Think of the eagle that the prophet Isaiah talks to us about. That Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 32. That we're enthralled with as American citizens. The eagle. The eagle can soar like no other bird. And do you know, it's an incredulous um, um, statistic as well, but they, they have um, tracked eagles who fly some 80 miles per hour without doing any flapping. Just no movement. And they can go fast, and they can go far. So there's this promise, and I want to ask you as we close, where are you today? Because... You could be in a place where you soar, or run and not grow weary, or walk and not faint. And I want to say that if you're here, be nice, be humble, all right? Be kind to the rest of us. If you're just loving Jesus and life is great and all your prayers are being answered, like, because we want to like you, okay? But you're not, like, you're not waiting on anything. It's just, all, it's just all coming your way. But maybe you're here, and the promise is that you can run and not grow weary. You've got to apply effort. Can I just say to you, in this time, stay faithful. Seek Him through prayer. Bathe yourself in His Word. Faithfully attend a place of worship. Be in community. Give and serve and stay at it, but it's not easy. And let me say, don't compare yourself to people who are sorry. You'll have your time. Keep running. But there's this promise that somebody might need today. And it's the promise that you'll just walk and not faint. So waiting... And share this with you. Faith that gets a yes from God is nothing compared to faith that gets no answer or no for an answer, but endures anyway. Like there's no prosperity gospel in that. 
But some of us need that. And I've only got you for a couple more minutes and maybe you know, every Sunday or every other Sunday, but I just want to say to you one more time, stay faithful. Don't give up. Don't compare yourself to people that are soaring. And wait. And while you wait, keep His way. It's the best way. Y'all, it's really the only way. One more time, faith that gets a yes from God is nothing compared to faith that gets no answer or no for an answer, but endures anyway. Would you stand with me? Our waiting, as I said at the outset, could be the single person. It could be the childless couple. It could be the deeply depressed. It could be the child that feels awkward, wants to be included. So long ago, it was a man named Nelson Mandela who spent 27 years in a South African prison cell. And he waited and he wondered. See, now we know it was 27 years. He didn't know that. And he wondered. And as I mentioned last week, hold on. It's our guy over there, Clarence Earl Darrington. 94 years old, a World War II veteran who was a prisoner of war for over a hundred and something days. Right here, y'all. He's a Woodland Hills member and is considering being a Fondren Church member if we're nice to him. He was probably on the front row thinking, man, if you're going to sing a hymn, don't change it up. If you sing it as well, just sing it as well, right? But waiting over a hundred days as a prisoner of war. It's in our waiting that God will do His best work. And you'll ultimately be most rewarded. So let me pray over you. I want to pray over anyone today who's looking at the back of the tapestry who doesn't see a beautiful intricate work of art from a loving caring artist but they see the erratic chaotic mess of strands I want to encourage you to endure and to wait and I will say to you today and I won't be proven wrong God will flip history he is faithful when we are faithless. Father, we honor you in this moment as we sing and close our service. Receive the, these words as we sing them heavenward and God let them get deeper into us. And Lord, I pray that in these moments we would be a praying people. That we would yield to you, we would surrender to you what needs to be surrendered. Lord, develop in us patient trust and confident humility. No more excuse making when it comes to waiting on you. We'll take action. We'll stand courageously. We'll face reality. We'll give up our excuses. We'll do what you say we should do. We'll keep your way, even if at times it's slow, it's a slow, painful clinging to you.
you we pray in Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. I want to give you a challenge today. This altar is open. I want to challenge you today, if you're waiting on the Lord or you, you want to see God do something in your life, you're grateful for what He's doing, maybe He's answered something that you've been waiting for. This altar is open today, and I would invite anybody. In fact, let me say this. I'd invite everybody who want, who's waiting on the Lord for something, and everybody who wants to thank Him for being faithful in your waiting. You come today. You kneel down and offer a prayer. Faithfulness to Him. You come today. Let's sing.